Oh, yeah, you may be seated. No, stay standing. That's funnier. <laughs> get two pastors. It's I'm my last day. I want them to stand the whole time. <laughs> uh, well, um, some of you, uh, probably most of you know that today is uh, Jeff's last day on the pastoral team of Eaglemont Church. And uh, I'll say a little bit more about that uh, near the end of our gathering today. But uh, last Sunday, uh, Jeff, you shared a little bit of the journey of coming to this decision prayerfully for God's leading in your life. And you're stepping into a role, for those that don't know, uh, stepping into a role in our, in our district uh, that one of numerous things that you're going to be doing, as you've shared a little bit uh, with me, with us, uh, but one of the things that is certainly on your radar and in your experience is um, uh, reminding leaders, youth and young adult leaders particularly, to have future leadership on their minds as they are leading wherever they're leading for the time when God calls them to a different place. Mm -hmm. Yes? Yeah, like one of the, kind of comes from a need that we're seeing in not just the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, but across North America and specifically Canada, where we have a lot of really good lead pastors who are approaching their retirement years. So like 55 and older, I think it's somewhere around 50%, if not more, depending what area you're looking at. Um, but there's going to be a massive change and a massive shift in uh, you know, if all these lead pastors retire, there's going to be a need to replace it. So we're looking at ways to, to expedite leadership development and to be able to have the next generation be able to not, I you know, you would hope that they wouldn't flounder, that's maybe not the best word, but to prevent that grow, as much of a growing period as you can, to have them ready to take that next, the mantle and, and run with it. Um, so yeah, trying to tell young leaders and and whether that's a youth pastor, a young adults pastor, uh, a small groups, whatever, that we can be looking to who could you build up that would be um, able to, like you said, continue on once you're called somewhere else. And in, in light of that, I, I think it's very cool today that, and this is probably a little bit unique. I, I don't know that I've heard of this happening. I'm sure it has, but I'm just not aware. But I think it's very cool that today we are able to announce that the next-gen uh, pastoral leadership that will follow you here at Eaglemont uh, are two uh, pastorally trained recent uh, year ago graduates from our Vanguard, uh, Vanguard College who have actually been a part of Eaglemont's uh, youth ministry for uh, 11 years, uh, each of them six as students and five years in leadership roles, four of those in a volunteer capacity in the last year in a, in a very part-time capacity assisting uh, Pastor Jeff. And so I, I am excited this morning to announce that our next-gen pastor for youth focus, grade 7 to 12, will be uh, Jaden O'Connor, and next-gen pastor focused on young adults will be uh, Brennan Jenkins, and Jaden will be 35 hours uh, a week in her um, youth pastoral role, gen, uh, next-gen uh, youth focus uh, pastoral role, and Brennan will be 10 hours a week in his young adult pastoral role. Uh, in addition... Yeah. Cool, bless you. Uh, in, in addition to the halftime worship pastor role that we announced three weeks ago. Uh, there will be some overlap in leadership engagement with the youth from Brennan's uh, 
role, as well as some overlap with his worship pastor role from the young adult standpoint as well, because we want to continue to foster something that is has been developing, I, I would almost say, not without me knowing, but Behind until, your back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah. I, I recently asked Jeff for a list of young adults and the way they were serving throughout the context of our church, and I was so encouraged. I was so excited by it, because many of you know, you, you know the statistics in North America of the, 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 the bleeding <laughs> of, of those later in high school and young adult years, and our, our church is so blessed, young adults, um, to have you as, as people, as part of the church family, uh, so many of you, it, it just I looked at that list and I go, young adults of Eaglemont are, are givers, not takers. They're, they're contributing, so many of them. We have just such a solid number of, of young adults that are serving and contributing in meaningful ways within the context of this church. And we, of course, want that to continue. All that to say that uh, that will be something that, that, that Brennan will uh, be one of the things that he'll be certainly focused on cultivating further in, uh, in his role. And, you know, when it can be done, Hiring from within is, is really best practice, and it's a, it's a credit, Jeff, to your leadership that we are able to have had and have stepped into uh, that reality. Well, for... Yeah. Yeah, oh, thanks. I'm so, I'm so clapping for them. Um, it's awkward. It's like singing happy birthday when everyone's <laughs> singing it to you. You know, happy birthday. To... Anyway, it's awkward. Um, <laughs> Uh, but no, for when I when I look at this, you know, when I kind of jokingly say behind Marlo's back, not like not like Marlo wasn't aware that they were involved or anything like that. But um, it wasn't like we had a sit down conversation. I was like, hey, I'm gonna try and um, develop these two to replace me in two years because I'm gonna leave on June 30th, 2019. I, I only found out about my new position just over a month ago, so it's not like this was all my planning and my time. It's actually a credit to God and His His timing. You know, for, for me, and this is something I'll be sharing with leaders around Northwest Territories, Alberta, wherever, in my new role, but is we need to be looking to the future, and at, look at your stage of life, right? Like, I'm approaching, I'm 30 in a month, which is terrifying, but that's the facts of life, and, uh, I, you know, when you're hitting 30, that's getting closer to the end than the beginning of being someone who works with youth, generally. So start to think of what could the next step be. So about two years ago, I started, you know, you look around, you have some Vanguard students, and uh, Brendan and Jaden were going to finish, and, and you know, had them both intern and, and liked what I had seen and, and saw a teachability there and a passion for, for the gospel and a passion for Beaumont and, and this church. And I started to think, you know, what, what could this look like? Like, is it possible? So really the plan was just try to get it as close to that as possible and let God take care of the timing. So when this opportunity came and I felt called to it, um, like I said, it wasn't like Marlo and me had this like back and forth for, for years, but... I was so thankful I was able to, is at the end of the day, it's as in a, in a uh, subordinate role, you're, it's not your choice no matter what. But my goal was to present the best possible option for the church based from pe with people who have the DNA of this church and understand this community. And that way any currency or change in my pocket that I've built or credibility with the community, with the kids, with whatever else, it doesn't just get cashed in, it gets handed over. And, and that credibility, that momentum keeps going, and they're going to be able to take from where I left off um, and be able to go further, not have to take time to get up to speed and to, 
to learn the community. It takes a while, but it doesn't take two years to figure out who you are. They, they know what works here and what doesn't. And if you have any apprehension about me leaving or it changing what the youth looks like, the positives will continue, and my failures, they have seen, and they will fix all of them, I can promise. Um, they've seen it. So I'm really excited. I couldn't be prouder, and I'm just so happy that it worked out the way it did. It's, it's uh, like I said, we can plan whatever we want, but God's timing was clearly on this. This was the right move, and this is who, uh, and, who God and, had. And you just give us some good uh, um, input there on kind of process, but, but really have felt the Spirit's leading mm-hmm. in this and uh, excited about, about the future. For those that don't know, Jaden and Brennan, I uh, want you to stand, please. Brennan, of course, was just up here, but uh, where's Jaden? She might, there she is. Okay. Yeah. Welcome. Welcome. And we'll have a time, uh, we'll have a time of uh, praying for you in commissioning uh, uh, you in your, in your role uh, at some point here through the summer, probably uh, mid-August or so. Um, there was one other thought that, that did come to me, but it's gone already. <laughs> And I'm just going to give a pause walk here to hope it comes back. Uh, nope, it's not. So uh, Joel has got some announcements, and uh, then Pastor Jeff is going to preach. Uh, first message in our Proverbs series. Now, this is, um, Jeff has made a joke about his topic today, <laughs> starting the Proverbs series off uh, strong with what Proverbs says about lust. It's a good topic, an important topic. Uh, not a good topic, it's an important topic. Um <laughs> But he was scheduled. Uh, he was scheduled uh, in July, and then once this information came, uh, we flipped, and so uh, we're starting uh, our Proverbs series today. And it'll be a privilege to hear one last time from Pastor Jeff. Oh, I don't want to say one last time. You might be back in your district role too, so we'll we'll talk about that. All right. Well, about ten years ago, maybe a little less. Uh, if you remember, there was a time, I was joking with Joel about this before, uh, a, a time when Jay Leno moved on from The Tonight Show, and Conan O'Brien, who had a later block of time, uh, came in, and he was a little bit different, uh, and it didn't, his kind of humor didn't transition over to the Jay, Jay Leno crowd very well, mainly because Jay Leno was never funny, and the people, I don't know why we, like, we, I would watch it, but no one was ever laughing, like Jay, anyways, that's an opinion. Um, Conan O'Brien came in and it didn't go over well and after about I think six months and horrible ratings um, he was told to leave Um, that's not my experience here but what I'm trying to mirror here is there was one night because Conan was known to just be absolutely crazy like he just do the craziest stuff because he was in the late night slot and that's what people loved about him they were all like you know what he has one last day it's his last show on the tonight show he's kind of scorned and uh, he can do and say anything he wants, and nothing bad could happen to him. And that's me today. <laughs> Marla's a little nervous now. But Conan didn't actually do anything bad. He did blow a whole bunch of his budget the week before on random stuff. I didn't do that either, Marlo, just so you know. But because it's my last day, and because I really can do anything I want, I'm actually going to have Trebby come up for a second. Bring Trebby up. I just want to say, just, just... Come on, Trebby. For those of you that don't know who Trebby is, Trebby is one of the young adults and uh, one of the leaders here at the church. And uh, he's been volunteering with the youth on Wednesday, Friday, pretty much every day of the week 
for the last, no, no, come into the spotlight. Trebby's not, okay, that's good spotlight. It's good, you're in a good spot. And uh, Trebby, Trebby has been working with me with youth for the last five years here. Um, and when I first met Trebby, I wasn't sure that we were going to hit it off. He was a little quiet, and I was like, okay, we'll see where this goes. And, and obviously, I love all the young adults. I've had a great time with all of them. But me and Trebby have had a very special bond and a special time uh, working together. He's, we've done the Trebby Challenge, where we just kind of out of like, what could we do to reach kids in Beaumont? I said, on the first time I met him, would you just like do a game with the kids? And we thought, okay, messy games. And this thing grew into something called the Trebby Challenge, where we dress them up as a different character every week and make like entrance videos and there's smoke and light and he like, it's like wrestling. It's like, you know, when Hulk Hogan came out, he's the Hulk Hogan of Beaumont. I know he doesn't quite, he's actually has had a, a skullet at one point in time through the Trevi Challenge. So yeah, he is the Hulk Hogan of Beaumont. Um, I've always made jokes that I'm his adopted dad and he gets very upset because John, he's very passionate that you are his actual father. <laughs> gets very upset. So I retire in this moment my, my being your father. You don't have to worry about that anymore. And I'm going to put you on the spot. We're going to see if he does it. I was asking for Father's Day. He didn't get me a present. And he was very, I was very upset. I asked him if he'd give me a hug on my last Sunday. Yeah? There you go. There you go. Okay, there we go. Trevi, ladies and gentlemen. What's this? Handshake? Oh, there we go. A bro hug. All right, there it is. Thanks, Trevi. There we go. It took five years, but I got my hug. No, in all honesty, our leaders have all been amazing. Um, like, Trevi kind of is the, the face of, of what we do, but, but the culture of um, making a memory for every kid uh, that they would remember Jesus for the rest of their life based on that one Friday that they came. If they only come for one time to church, would they have a memory, whether that's goofy, you know, Trebby dressed up as a horrifying clown once or a pirate or uh, a baby one time. I, it was just something they will remember forever and be like, church was good. And uh, we've created a culture there that's grown and become a part of this town. And I'm so excited that it's going to continue on as, as, as I move on. So um, thank you guys for uh, being a part of that with me. So let's get started. TV shows. They got any Netflix binge watchers here? People that just like sit down and just pump out a series. I kind of go through seasons with this, right? Where I'll have like a show. I won't watch any shows. Like there's nothing good on. And then like I'll get a notification. Your favorite show has three new seasons on Netflix. They're like, all right, I'm not sleeping for a couple of weeks here. And that will be just binge watch. And I, but I never really was like that. You know, I, I, my family was more of a, and they still are. My parents have the same pattern that they always have. Come home, watch the news, yell at the news, watch Wheel of Fortune, watch Jeopardy. Then there's like a flex period of about two hours, and they watch the same news at 11 o'clock and get mad at the same things. That's, that's, being, that's a boomer for you right there. That's, that's my parents. It's been 20 years of the same thing. We never really watched shows. The only shows we ever watched was like Home Improvement. And yeah, Home Improvement was great, right? That's one of the most underrated shows ever. It really taught me everything I need to know about being a man. Consequently, I'm terrible with tools, so I've always had this like feeling of not being adequate as a man because of Tim, Tim Allen. Um, and so I, I, lo I loved that show. That was great, but it was always sitcoms. And I kind of got out of that. I didn't really watch a lot of shows. And so I, I've always had this short attention span of like 20 minutes, cartoons or, or home improvement, anything longer than that was too much, until the show Lost came on. About 10 years ago, 15 years ago, Lost came on. 
Lust changed the game. It was completely different than home improvement or anything else we had seen before. If you actually, there's, a, I forget what book it is now, but I remember reading that it was the first book, or first show, sorry, to have like multiple, multiple, multiple storylines interweaving all at once and jumping back and forth. It was believed for the longest time that like shows, we could only have an attention span of one story and then it became two stories. So if you look at like Leave It to Beaver, it was just Beaver's in trouble. There's your story. Great. Um, and then it moved on to like a show like Starsky and Hutch. And Starsky's got one thing going on and then Hutch has and they jump back and forth. And then they'd go into like some, some other shows that have two or three. But Lost had like seven or eight or nine or ten stories happening at once. Let me just put a disclaimer in there. I don't really, it's been a while since I've watched Lost. If there's anything that you remember from watching Lost that you didn't appreciate or you feel like isn't appropriate, please find me here next Sunday. And I'd be happy to hear about your concerns. <laughs> Um, but I think it's a pretty safe show. Um, Lost was crazy. There's all these crazy cliffhangers. There's nothing made sense. There's a story about this plane that crashes on this island, and they have to survive, and there's these other people there that they never explained who they were, but they were there, and we're like, who are these people? There's polar bears and this smoke monsters, and it was just like, it was crazy. We were like, what's next? What's going to happen? There's this hatch and these numbers, and no one knows what's going on. Consequently... Neither did the writers. At about season three, they had given us so much that we were like, how are they going to tie this back together? How are they going to wrap a bow on this and make it just the greatest series of all time? And they're sitting there in the writer's room, how are we going to put a bow on this? How are we going to wrap the, what does it, why is there a polar bear in the tropics? It doesn't make any sense. What were we thinking? We're just, they were just going crazy. They had no plan. And the season finale of Lost was the single worst moment of my life. I, st I, I would love to stand here before you and tell you what it happened in it and what it was about, but I can't tell you because it sucked. It was the worst. Worst. Don't. So I tried. I actually sat down. Um, one of the, the music pastor at Hope City in, in Edmonton, um, he felt the same way. And he actually sat down with a notepad about five years ago, and rewatched the whole series, trying to like flowchart it together. And at the end, he was, I think there's a point where he just like threw it in the air. It's like nothing makes sense. I'm like I told you, they didn't know. It was horrible, and that feeling just sunk into me. And I didn't watch another show. It was like getting out of a bad dating relationship. I couldn't trust again. I couldn't open my heart up to another show. I, I, didn't, I had trust issues. I didn't want to get into a commitment because they're just going to end poorly just like the last one. And it took about four years before I was able to get back into TV and love again. Is really what it was. But that's not the point of this message other than don't watch Lost. It wasn't good. Buyer's remorse. I think we've all experienced that at some point, Right? There's been some point in our, in our life where we wanted something, where we're walking down the, the, the aisles and we're looking. For me, it's at Cabela's. And I'm like, you know, I need another cup because it says Yeti on it. That's what I need. I have six. It hold, they, they hold liquids perfectly well. The transportation of liquid into my mouth is not being hindered in any way. But I need another $40 stainless steel cup. 
And then you get driving home and you're like, yeah, I got that. You know that feeling? I got that new thing. Or, or you're on Amazon and you're like, yeah, I'm going to one click buy. I don't even have to think before I buy. And then it arrives and you get in your hand and like that feeling of realization of what you've done when you get home and you put that new Yeti mug alongside all its brothers and sisters. You think, I'm an idiot. What was I thinking? Why did I need that? My bank account isn't that full, and here I bought another cup. Or I bought another, sorry Sage, airsoft rifle. Or a, a pellet gun. And then your wife asks you, why did you need that? And you just kind of stand there, like, why did I need that? Well, you know, there might be this odd situation that will never happen where I need an air, what if you need it one day? But there's that feeling of regret, that buyer's remorse of like, here, I've got this, I have it, and it was so worth it, and I needed it in the moment, and I was so excited, and when I first got it in my hands, this is everything I've ever wanted, and then you realize, man, I didn't ever need that, I should have never bought that. Maybe you've done that when you bought a jersey from China online. I know I had a, aside from it being a Milan Lucic jersey, and that's absolute buyer's remorse, let's be honest. Love the guy, but contract's looking a little vague or bleak right now. Um, it was like the wrong shade of blue. It cut off here. And I think Trevi took it from me, actually, now that I think about it. But um, and it was like an extra, extra large, and it was way too tight. Like, it, I was like, this was not a good purchase. Buyer's remorse, I think we've all been there on some level. You know, and that's a reflection of so many things in life. So many things in life promise to fulfill us, to give us what we want and what we need. And when all said is, is said and done, we feel empty and unfulfilled. Maybe for you it was like a new truck. that You're like, I need a new truck. My other truck only has a 4.5 liter engine. I need a 5 liter engine. I need a Hemi. I don't know. I'm not actually a big truck guy. But you need something more. I need heated seats, so I need to buy a new truck. Or maybe for you it was that necklace you wanted. Or maybe for you it was that vacation that you've been saving up for for like 10 years. And now you have it. You've enjoyed it. The plane's landed. And you're back. You're still not fulfilled. You're still not at the point where you have everything you ever wanted. That promise of that thing fulfilling you didn't actually last as long as you had hoped for. The desire to be fulfilled shapes so much of our daily choices. Emotion really rules the day in our society. Momentary want rules the day in our society. And perhaps one of the most powerful and influential emotions and feelings that we'll contend with as human beings is lust. So lust is directly defined as a stronger, powerful sexual desire. However, the Bible generally will associate it with temptations towards sexual sin as opposed to like being... Um, being aroused by your spouse or in, in a positive light of sexuality. Generally, when we're talking about lust in a Bible-based way, we're looking at temptation towards sin, and specifically sexual sin. So temptation towards any sexual activity outside of God's design for humanity. So we always hear at Eagle Mont Church, and any church that you should ever attend or trust, we always turn to the Bible. That's the number one place that we turn to first because we believe and we know that God is the architect of the Bible and he wrote it through a group of people that, that he empowered and, and gave the word to speak to. But he's the architect, he's the designer. Every word was designed by him. It was just other people who laid the brick to be able to build the building, or the metaphorical building that is the Bible and the scriptures through those authors. 
So as we begin our new series in Proverbs, we find a lot about lust. If you look through Proverbs, actually the first five chapters of the book follow a narrative of a, a metaphorical dad who's talking to his sons and trying to give him some, wife, some, some life advice about getting through life. And uh, he's actually using this metaphor of two different women. Uh, and these two different women that he should try to be with or not be with and trying to keep his son from trouble. So remember, when you're reading through these first couple chapters and what we're looking at today, we're looking at some fatherly advice. He warns his son to stay close to the woman that will be referred to as wisdom. We're not going to see a ton of her in the scripture we're looking at here. But the other one is mentioned as the immoral woman. So let me just preface this for anybody that's feeling that there should be a reference for women as well. This is largely probably because the author would have been male and maybe looking at it from his perspective of re reading to what he would say to his sons. It's not because of the patriarchy. It's not because of uh, lack of respect for women. It was just perspective at the time. So I, I think that God and, and all of us can trust that we can take this information and you can make it as a woman as well towards your perspective. You can replace the, man, the word uh, immoral woman with immoral uh, man and, and it applies to you just as well. Um, so let's take a look at that. And we start in Proverbs 5. It says this, My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen carefully to my wise counsel. Then you will show discernment, and your lips will express what you've learned. For the lips of an immoral woman are as sweet as honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But if, the, if in the end she is bitter as poison, as dangerous as a double-edged sword, her feet go down to death, her steps lead straight to the grave, for she cares nothing about the path to life. She staggers down a crooked trail and doesn't realize it. So now, my sons, listen to me. Never stray from what I'm about to say. Stay away from her. Don't go near the door of her house. If you do, you will lose your honor and will lose to, to merciless people all you have achieved. Strangers will cons consume your wealth and someone else will enjoy the fruit of your labor. In the end, you will groan in anguish when disease consumes your body. You will say, how I hated discipline. If only I had not ignored all the warnings. Oh, why didn't I listen to my teachers? Why didn't I pay attention to my instructors? I've come to the brink of utter ruin, and now I must face public disgrace. Drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets? Having sex with just anyone, you should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an immoral woman or fondle the breasts of a promiscuous woman? For the Lord sees clearly what a man does, examining every path he takes, an evil man is held captive by his own sins. They are ropes that catch and hold him. He will die for lack of self-control. He will be lost because of his great foolishness. And that's Proverbs 5, 1 to 23, the, the whole book of Proverbs 5. So here's the thing. This is really, really, really good wisdom. And the whole book of Proverbs, as we go through it, you're going to see more and more wisdom. This and the Psalms are actually referred to uh, theologically as wisdom literature. I honestly believe if you took a, a proverb, a chapter every day, and a psalm every day for the next, as long as it takes, and you read one every single day, I think it would change your life. That'd be a challenge for, for me to you this summer. 
take even just Proverbs, pick one and go through it every, every day. Um, and then by the time, you're just, there's so much wisdom, it, you'd be shocked at how often if you do that. I've done that a couple of times in my life where I take the Proverbs and I pick one chapter and how many times something throughout that day, that wisdom actually impacted literally that morning or that afternoon or whatever. So that, that's a challenge. Um, the language there is pretty aggressive. He's basically saying if you go anywhere near this, this person, this immoral person, that you are going to be destroyed. And you might think, well, that sounds kind of aggressive. Like, how, how could you be so, so bold on those statements? But the fact is that that's really a reflection of what we face in life and, and what this man would have seen in his own experiences. And he's trying to tell his son, like, hey, stay away. Stay away. Even though, um, even though it seems like you're going to have all these things that you want, even though she's attractive, even though this person drives you towards them and, and they're, they're, they're the most important thing and they're going to fulfill everything for you, you need to take a look and see in what he says that this is a double-edged sword. This is a poison. You're going to want to look. You're going to want to be with this person. It will look like that person's going to fulfill you. But as the scripture says here, it won't fulfill in the ways you promise. There is a, a consistent buyer's remorse when we give in to what the person represents here, which is lust. When we walk alongside lust, we, 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 we fail. And in verse 5 and 6, like I said, it says double-edged sword. You're going to cut yourself. It's going to hurt. You're going to get wrecked by it. There's poison. You're going to get sick. It's going to destroy you. It's not all it's cut out to be. It's not all that it promises. As humans, we long for connection. That's really what drives a lot of the issues of the world when you think about it. Think about the mistakes you've made, whether it's a direct um, like one for one that, that we can kind of pin down and say, yeah, that's why sociologically, why I did this. Really, we can break everything down to the point where we just long to be connected. God designed us so that we would have sex. God made that. Sex is God's design. We've talked about that quite a bit. And he made it a good thing. It's not bad. It's not dirty. In the right, in the right ways, it's good. God said that it's good. Our human desire is um, will be driven and our sex drive will drive us towards sex. And that's okay. But as it is with all sin and with all temptation, the devil takes what God made to be good and wants to trick it and manipulate it and twist it into a way that looks the same but will actually lead us to ruin. Just like, And that's really what this author is trying to tell the, the figure or the person that is his son in this metaphor. Lust steps in. And promises basically a shortcut. That's the best way to put it. Temptation is a shortcut to the good thing that God has given us and the steps that God has given us towards good things. It promises where God says, wait, or in the right way. Lust says, now. Lust says, as much as you want, with whoever you want. It doesn't say wait. You don't have to. Why would you wait? Let's say you, you don't have to wait for a person or until you're old enough. You can have it now. Just, just search the right words on your iPhone. Or go, out, go on that dating site or that, that affair website or, or just have another conversation with that coworker that you're super into and you kind of flirt with. God doesn't want that, but temptation and sin and lust will tell you that porn and sexual impurity and what lust leads to is going to make you happy. Which brings me to fast food. Where's he going to go with this, right? 
porn and lust and sin and sexual impurity is fast food for your soul. It promises that you're going to get the nutrition in your body that, that you honestly need, that you're designed to have to function and to be healthy. It promises that you're going to be full, you're going to be fulfilled, you're going to feel good. And actually, like, it's so delicious, too. Have you ever driven past those golden arches at one in the morning and not been like, I could really go for a McDouble made like a Mac? It'd be great. I'd get some fries. It'd be delicious. I don't need it. We're like, man, I could really go for that. It's going to be great, and I'm kind of hungry, um, so it's gonna, I'll be full, and it'll be good. But, but have you ever been like, man, I'm really like, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling weak, and I need nutrition, and I'm like, well, I really want some fries. Like, it, it's not the same thing. But you have this food, and you know it's not good for you, and, but that temptation is there, and you're longing. And I, I always tell this story. Um, when I was really struggling with my weight and my, and my health and, and trying to not eat fast food, uh, Sage was living in Devon and I was living in Beaumont. And I would go to Devon and I would drive back, but there's this evil island, as I call it, in Nisku, where there's this McDonald's. And like, I'd be like, nope, I'm not going to eat there today. And I'd be driving and I'm like, nope, nope, nope. And I'd actually have to like almost look down. and It's not, not there. It's not there. Get behind me, Satan. It's not there. And I'm driving and I'm like, hey, a couple of times. I remember one time specifically, I'm like, I drove past, and then the, the train lights hit. And I'm sitting there, and it's like, eat it up, eat it up, eat it up, eat it up. I'm like, you know what? I think God wants me to go to McDonald's. <laughs> and so I just backed up, went to the drive-thru. You got to kill some time somehow, right? But after you have it, in the moment you, you love it, it's delicious. It's everything you've ever wanted. It's everything that was promised. It's salt. It's fat. It's so good. And then about a couple kilometers down the road, you start to feel that rumble in your stomach. You start to feel the salt sucking the life out of you. You start to feel your stomach literally grow. Your belt pops open. And you're like, you know what? That wasn't worth it. You start to remember why you swore off fast food after the Taco Bell fiasco of 2009. And next thing you know, you're, you're sick as a dog feel bad. For the next couple of days, you're sick, you're weak, you have diarrhea. It's not good. It's not good. You're malnourished. You regret every moment of it. Your digestive system is literally punishing you for days because it says that was not good. That was a lie. That wasn't what I was asking for. I said, give me nutrition. You gave me salt and cardboard. What were you thinking? Lust promises the same type of reward system. You're going to have it. You're going to feel fulfilled. It's going to give you everything you want. And when, it's in, when you have that thing that, I, that you're longing for, it's going to be totally worth it. Why would I ever eat at home again when I could just, literally it's cheaper to go to McDonald's. It feels better. It's convenient. But it leaves you broken. It leaves you destroyed. That's lust. It'll destroy your, your, not your gut, not your bowels. It'll destroy your heart. It'll destroy your soul, and it will destroy your marriage. Absolutely, it will. Nobody is beyond it. In, in uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about running from sexual sin. And when you look into the actual, the Greek, the original language of it, the word run, it's not like, oh yeah, like, you know, shuffle step away, power walk, like that weird thing they do in the Olympics. No, it was like, run, sprint, 
literally the same word as run from life and death in prison or run from a lion that's trying to eat you. And I know that doesn't translate here because I haven't seen a lion recently, but like, could you imagine you walk out the door and there's a grizzly bear there? Yeah, take off. I know they say, you know, just stop, drop, that's fire. Um, they, say, they say play dead, stop, drop, and roll. It'll confuse the bear. It won't know what to do. It'll think you're on fire. It doesn't like fire. Anyways, no, it says like drop and, and pretend you're dead. I'm running. There's a bear. I'm going to die. That's what it's talking about. Sexual sin will rip you apart like a grizzly bear. It will rip apart your marriage. Lust will destroy your heart. Lust will destroy your soul. No matter what your brain or whatever lust is promising you in the moment about that action, that person, that website search, that thing you're doing on your iPhone, whatever it is, it will cripple you. It will destroy you and it will leave you broken. It will leave you cut with a double-edged sword and it will leave you poisoned and in the gutter ready to die. That's what lust does because it's, it's a liar and it's a snake. It's the worst. The absolute worst. A good, another good story for this is when we look in 2 Samuel, and I'll, I'll paraphrase it for time, but uh, David, the guy who killed Goliath, right? He killed the giant. He's gone from this shepherd who goes and, and is this you know, unexpected hero who slays a giant, becomes the king of Israel, known as a man after God's own heart. Everything he touches turns to gold. He's the hero of the land. Nothing he can do goes wrong. He goes into battle. He has way less men. He wins all these wars. Got God on his side. Nothing more could happen. Celebrity status times 10. So it says in, in 2 Samuel, when, all the, when uh, everyone's at war and it's the time when kings are supposed to be at war with their troops, he stays home. He goes up to the roof and he's looking around. He's like, yeah, I got this kingdom. It's great. Love my kingdom. And he sees a girl on a rooftop having a bath. Again, we don't do that today, but I'm assuming baths on rooftops were more regular back 2,000, whatever, thousands of years ago. And instead of looking away, Instead of being like bashful and like, oh man, I should, that's, that's inappropriate. He continues to look. He, and then he stares. And then he starts to long. And then he starts to lust. And he thinks, I want to be with that woman. And he actually sends his guards over to bring her over. And being the king, this is basically an, an example of, of rape. Because he used his power. If she would have said no, she really can't at this point. So he has sex with this girl. Bathsheba was her name. And she becomes pregnant, but he finds out, well, she was married. So now she's pregnant, and she's married, and her husband is actually at war. And he's like, man, i got to figure this out. i got to, what do I do? How do I get out of this? There's got to be a way for, without people knowing what I did, I did something so bad. I'm known as a man after God's own heart. I have a reputation to keep. I'm the king, for goodness sake. What do I do? And he, so he goes, and, and he actually brings the guy back, and he's like, hey, like, go home. You did a good job at war. Go home to your wife. And, Maybe light some candles or something, and you know, you know, if you have a baby, that's good news, right? So go for it. And he's too good of a guy. Her husband's like, no, it won't go. My my fellow soldiers are there at war, and he's like, I'm gonna stay here. And he sleeps on this on the palace steps. This happens a couple of times before David finally becomes so freaked out. He's like, this guy's, I can't get him to go home and be with his wife. And he says, well, okay, the last straw. And he actually sends out orders with, with this guy as he goes back to war to put him at the front lines of the, of the battle. And I don't, again, I don't know if you've ever seen um, any war movie, um, Lord of the Rings or whatever. The guys at the front are not the guys that usually end up in the final credits. They're usually the first ones knocked down, and that's what happened here. Essentially, David murdered this guy. He knew what was going to happen. 
And through a whole, I encourage you to read through this when you have some time, but through uh, God speaking to different people, he's called out on this. He's called out on, on what happened. And he suffers quite a bit of punishment through this as well. And he has to walk through that, the repercussions for his actions. But when we look at this, it was preventable. And it started with lust. It started with, with seeing something. And, and the sin wasn't when he saw. The sin wasn't in temptation. The sin is when he started to hold it close. When he started to feel it. When he started to, to long for it. And, and just posture himself over and, and hold it in a place where, yeah, that's something I want, something I want. And the thought starts to grow and spread through his mind until he finally decides that, that he has the guts to act on it. And he calls over his guards. Next thing you know, the sin starts to spin out of control. But it all started with lust. But the first place it started was actually with a decision that had nothing to do with Bathsheba whatsoever. And that's in the first verse when it says that it was the time when kings should be out at war. David was not where he was supposed to be. He had put himself in a situation where he shouldn't be. He had put himself in a situation where he could be tempted. If he was at war, this would have never happened. There's two things I want to share with you guys. Two challenges and two questions, really. Number one, what situations are you putting yourself in regularly that is not conducive to you being close to God, that allows room for the devil to come in and to, and to twist things and to tempt you and to put lust into your life, to give you that opportunity to, to let it fester and grow? Maybe for you, that is having a computer um, in a space where no one else can see you, where you can kind of recluse and, and no one knows what you're looking at. Having no accountability partners, whether that's your wife or whether that's friends or whether that's other, a pastor or whatever, there's, there's a, a, a company, there's an organization, a software called Covenant Eyes. If you're struggling with pornography, you need to get on that and you need to get an accountability partner. It shares, it's, it's really good. Um, it shares all of your like sketchy, even if it's not bad, anything that might be a little bit sketchy, it shares with an accountability partner and starts a conversation to fix that problem in your life. And that's where it really starts, is with a conversation. It starts with being open and, and bringing sin out into the, into the light. Um, lust doesn't have a chance to work when it's brought into the light and when you have people in your life to challenge, uh, to challenge you. And that starts with, of course, your marriage, your family, um, but you need to have, uh, and this isn't just for, for, for men, for women too, you need to have accountability on every level. You need to have somebody, whether that's someone from your small group, maybe you need to talk to a pastor, maybe that's uh, a good friend, another guy or girl that you know, you go for coffee regularly, just like, how are things going? That's how you break down this thing. So what are you doing that's putting yourself in a bad situation? And here's the, the other question. If you struggle not just with porn, that's the one that kind of gets out there, but if lust, that longing, if that's something that you let fester for too long, if it starts, it's really hard to stop it. It gains momentum, like I said. It festers, it grows. You need to find ways to stop that. You need to find ways to get closer um, to, to a place where you can end it even halfway through. If David would have stopped letting this train wreck get out of control, this snowball, if he would have eventually just said, hey man, I'm gonna deal with this, I'm gonna come clean, yeah, it's gonna suck, it's gonna be really bad. But it wouldn't have been as bad, he wouldn't have got to the point of murdering somebody. He wouldn't have had all the repercussions. I'm not saying you're gonna murder someone because you're lusting, but I'm saying that your situation is just gonna get worse and worse and worse. Just accept that you might have to fall off the horse before you get too far down, you're going to get hurt more. Know when it's time to just admit it. And the number one thing you can do is this. Be close to God. 
That's easy, right? Easy answer, that's the pastor answer. Not just be close to God, but take steps. The best way to deal with this stuff and to get in its way is to be reading your Bible regularly, but being open to God, speaking to God, praying to God, being in the Word, working on your relationship with Him. The more that you're like Jesus, the less, the less room that you'll have um, for lust to creep in and temptation. And when you are tempted, that's where you know, no, I know God, I know God, God's got to be chatted this morning. I don't need that. I need what I read in the Bible today. That will change your life. Open dialogue with people, accountability, scripture, prayer. Sounds like Sunday school stuff. It is. This is the basics. This is what will hold you close to God, and this is what will stop you from being wrecked in life, from having buyer's remorse. It will hold your marriages together. It will help you thrive as a Christian. And that's so important. I want to pray for you guys. If you're dealing with this stuff, if this, is, if this is something you've been battling with, if this is something that you're struggling with and you're like, I'm the only one, I can't tell anybody. You're not alone. Talk to somebody today. Talk to a friend. If you don't know anybody, talk to a pastor. We need to get this stuff figured out because you can thrive in your relationship with Jesus. Your marriage can thrive. Lust does not need to consume your life you can feel that fulfillment you've been longing for without feeling sick at the end. You can have it all. You just have to go through the proper channels. Let's pray. God, thank you for this church and thank you uh, that we can come to you and that you are um, just a, such an important part of our lives and, and that you are just a call away. We just have to say your name and, and you are, are there. God, for any of us here that are struggling with any of the stuff that we're talking about here today with lust or porn or longing, whatever, or looking for fulfillment in all the wrong places, God, we pray that you would step into those spaces and that you would guide us, Holy Spirit, to take the steps that we need to take, not just be like, hey, God, fix everything, but that we would look at ourselves and take a look in the mirror and say, what can I do to prevent these scenarios from happening in the future? God, we, we worship you, we love you, and we want to be closer to you, and we want to live a life that is pleasing to you and that is thriving for you, Jesus. We want to look just like you, Jesus. We want to live, uh, follow your example and reflect it in everything we do. We want to emulate Jesus Christ across our life so that we can be um, a good example to the world around us and share that. So God, as I close here and I kind of look back on my time here at the church now, I just pray for this church. And I pray that uh, that they would continue to grow, they would continue to be outwardly bound, seeking to, to reach their community above all else. That they would, they would search for you and everything they do. They would be people that are, look so different out there because of, what they, uh, because of what they believe and how they live, but they would just look like normal people to, to people they work with. They'd just be totally normal, but so different at the same time. Be authentic and real and be a force in Beaumont. And we'd see hundreds and thousands of people come to Jesus because of the people in this church and the love that they shared and the reflection of you, Jesus, that they lived out in their day-to-day -day life and here on a Sunday and in everything that they do. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jeff. Uh, I'm actually going to need you to stay up here. Um, and Sage, if you'd like to come up as well. And then Ivor and Esten and Carol, if you guys would like to join us as well. So we just have um, some people who want to share some memories that they've had with you and just some gratefulness for what you've done. So, Sweet. I mean, yeah, you guys have to awkwardly stand here just to really sink in the moment, but I'm going to get Carol to go first. Well, 
This will be my first time meeting you. Anyway, if you're a, a mate of Jeff's, I'm sure that you're an awesome person. And before I forget, it's been a blessing being with you. Um, good morning. Um, I got uh, my calling to help Jeff out uh, when I heard that uh, the group needed to have somebody to help cook. So I thought, well, I can cook. So anyway, the first Friday night, uh, Anya and myself, we went and... Uh, we went up to the pastor and said, we'd like to cook. So he said, fine. And our first evening that we were cooking, we were cooking something on the grill, and the grease pit caught on fire. And anyway, the fire kept getting higher and higher. And anyway, we sent a, a, a text to the pastor, but he was so into his uh, speech, he didn't pay any attention. So anyway, I knew it was in the uh, grease pit, so... Anyway, we kept going, and anyway, it's uh, been on my heart since to be part of this ministry. Um, and another thing I want to say is to each of the leaders that help out with this group are just awesome in every single thing they do, and I think that's mostly because of your leadership. You've trained them well, and they will do well. And also, Jeff, also, in anything that I know that you put your hand to, it is just, you're just going to just go and run with it. They're, whoever you're working for will be, it'll be a blessing that you're working for them. Thank you. I couldn't agree more that the leaders are great because of Jeff, but I was great before Jeff, just saying. Uh, so then I, for you guys, gave two questions. Uh, the first one was, what's something Jeff's taught you? And then what's one of your favorite memories with Jeff? So, And you have matching boots. Oh, that's so nice. Um, so one of the things that Jeff, like, really taught me was I'm, like, not really a huge person that likes to go and talk a lot. Like, I'm kind of quiet. It's just kind of who I am. But um, a couple summers ago, uh, Jeff asked my brother and I if we wanted to go to Shiloh. And I hadn't been in, like, a camp, like, I've been a camper at camps before, but I hadn't been, like, a leader there. And it just kind of changed who I was a little bit. And now I've been going to, like, I've been at a camp before, and now I'm starting to go into more leadership positions because of Jeff asking me to, step into an awkward position, but then it actually benefited me. So Jeff has like been, always been a role model in my life, whether that's him like preaching on a Sunday, Friday, or Wednesday evening, or that's his big muscles, but yeah. Um, so one of my... Uh, one of my favorite memories with Jeff would probably be when we went to YC. Um, it, was a, it was a little bit of a crazy time, but I really got to know Jeff and like some of the other leaders here. It was a fun, like especially Trebby. Like dr driving with Jeff and Trebby was probably one of my favorite memories with both of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, my memories would have to, be, like my favorite memories would have to be YC. That was a lot of fun learning about both of them. Or this one time at a at youth on a Friday night, Jeff filled the church up with so much smoke 
that the fire alarm went off. <laughs> and then this other time at a Wednesday night small group, each group had $50 to spend. So we went to Don's, they got $50 worth of nugs. <laughs> Pretty good. Thank you guys. Um, I'd like to just take a minute too to thank you guys so much for all that you've done. Um, it's easy to see all that Jeff's done because he's had a little bit more of a forward role, but all of the cafe stuff, that was all Sage's vision and she really got that started and you guys both have been such a blessing to this church and Jeff especially, thank you for taking a chance on Brendan and I who are newly graduated and had no idea what we were doing and you were willing to teach us, which I'm sure at times was not <laughs> all that easy. <laughs> but um, you guys have been incredible and we're really grateful for all that you've invested here and your impact is gonna last far longer than you guys are here for. And yeah, we just, we really love you and we're really happy that we've gotten this opportunity to partner with you in this walk of life. Again, it's, it's been well said already and others of you will have opportunity either today or beyond today to convey your expressions of love and appreciation and, and prayer uh, moving forward for um, for Jeff and Sage. Uh, we, we, we honor you this morning. We thank you both for the investment you've made in God's work and to be able to do that together. It's cool. It's cool. And uh, it's uh, years that we'll reflect on with, uh, as a church with, uh, with fondness because of uh, who you are and because of your, your heart just to, to love God and love people well and, and bring people to Jesus that don't know him yet. And that, that is reflected in not only your leadership role, but your uh, personal life as well, I, I know. And uh, that is inspirational to each one of us. And we, we see evidence of that but eternity will tell the full story, and that will be that will be a cool time. So it's been a joy to get to know you as people, and to journey with you as uh, on on the team as a fellow leader in in God's church uh, for this uh, season of time. And uh, we pray and we commit as a body, and I know church family you do as well. As God brings you to mind in the days and weeks and months ahead, our default will be to just pray for you in your new uh, endeavors. Um, and so. Sage, this is just a little something that I think you'll enjoy probably a little more than Jeff, but maybe not. Maybe that's not right to say. But here's something, uh, an expression in a card, and then there's some gift cards in here, a few gift cards that uh, we know that you'll enjoy together and uh, keep dating and fostering your, your relationship. So God bless you guys. And I'm going to ask, uh, actually, you guys can stay here. Youth, any youth that want to come, youth leaders? Uh, council leaders come to the stage and we're going to gather around um, uh, Pastor Jeff and Sage and just just pray uh, God's continued blessing on their life and God's leadership of his Holy Spirit in their future and just pray a blessing. So maybe come into a space here where you can have lots of people in front and behind you and uh, gather around. Thank you, Lord. Church family, just uh, stand if you would. And uh, if you're comfortable, just in agreement, reaching out your hand and let's pray together for this great couple. Thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for, the, for the gift of friendship. We thank you for the gift of friendship with you that's possible because of Christ. And that's the message that we get to share together. And that message of a call to know God through Christ is just so strong in Jeff and Sage's 
life and heart and testimony and leadership and relationships. And we, we thank you for that. And we know that will continue. And we know that you will continue to use them in the way that you want to. And so we pray, God, first, a, a, just a prayer of thanksgiving to you for depositing the, the gifts of these good folks among us for this time, for these years. And we thank you, God, for the influence in your church, in their neighborhood, in this city of Beaumont and region. We thank you for the influence of their lives that will continue as your Holy Spirit waters the seeds that they have planted by your strength and, and direction. And Lord, we just uh, lift them up to you in this time of transition, that you would sustain them, that you would give them wisdom, that you would just so bless the work in their future that you are calling them to. And I pray and we pray in the name of Jesus that you would um, just cause your creativity, your anointing, your wisdom, your strength to be just every day so evident in and through their lives. We pray for their marriage. We pray that they would continue to cultivate that relationship that you care so much about. Just bless them in their future. We thank you for all of this and for them. In Jesus' name, amen.